0: That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B E. Welcome in listeners we're so pleased to have you here again on the authority podcast on the B podcast network it's my pleasure today to be joined by my guest Dr. Stephen Gilliland he is a university professor at Claremont Graduate University and teaches in the division of behavioral and organizational sciences and Drucker School of Management he also serves as the founding director of the Maldonado Executive Leadership Institute which is committed to discovery discussion and dissemination of insights into the Future of Executive Leadership. Uh, through more than 50 publications, his research exam is managerial fairness and organizational justice, leadership ethics, and human resource staffing and decision-making, all topics that are relevant to all of you. So I think this will be a very valuable conversation. Along with his brother, Jim, Stephen is co-author of the book, Pushing Up, which is available from Modern Wisdom Press. We'll put the link below to Amazon. Stephen, welcome to The Authority.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ross. Glad to be here.
0: It's so great to have you here, Stephen, and I wanted to start out because this is a very particular structure of the book, the way you wrote it with Jim, kind of what it covers. Um, So I'm going to start out with a really broad, big question, which is, what is this book about?
1: Wow, that's probably about the toughest question you could ask me. This book is about a 12-month journey through daily exercises that I did with my brother, Uh, but it's not an exercise book. It's about what we learned through this process of challenging each other to, to do a workout every day. And to keep each other accountable through a process of daily text messages, by doing this, we deepened our connection. We we learned about kind of challenges and commitments and pushing ourselves, but we just learned a lot about each other and, and what it means to be brothers and leaders and uh, fathers and so on.
0: Absolutely. And so,
1: this title of this book, the book is called
0: "Pushing Up," and it's what twelve months of physical challenges taught two brothers about connection, leadership, and purpose. And so the 12 chapters, you go through 12 months of lessons and talk about these physical challenges you engaged in. I can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that was, what initiated it, and what attracted you eventually to do it, despite the fact that it was uh, quite challenging?
1: They started with a text message that my brother sent me on New Year's Eve. He said, hey, I've got this idea. How about you and I do a workout every day next year? And, and okay, and it's New Year's Eve, and maybe I'd had a drink or two at that point. They said, it seemed like a good idea. So I text him back, yeah, sure, let's do it. And then he made it real. And, and he said, okay, it, it doesn't matter if you're sick, doesn't matter if you're traveling, doesn't matter if you're tired, um, every day, a workout. And to keep each other honest, we're going to text a picture of doing that workout to each other, just to, to hold that accountability. And that, that gave me that pause of like, oh, wow, th- this is real. This is something big. And, but it was that, that, that willingness to take on that challenge of, if I'm going to be committing to something for a full year for every day in that year, I don't know what the year is going to look like, but I'm committing to doing something every day. That was a big commitment. And I think that's what drove me to say yes, was to take on that commitment. The other part beyond the, the challenge of it was that opportunity to connect more deeply with my brother. You know, we, we live, I live in Los Angeles. He lives in Vancouver, Canada. We don't see each other that often, but whenever we do, we're close. And this was, I think, an opportunity for us to to build that connection uh, even deeper. Yeah, that relationship
0: is, of course, it's central to the book as the two of you wrote it together and to what the book is about, but it's also central to the lessons learned from the book, some of which I think that you were aware of what you hope to achieve before you embarked on this and thinking about what your relationship was and could be. And I believe the phrase that you had used to describe it was intermittent closeness, right? Where it's, you had a very close relationship when you were together, but then you might go a long time apart and not necessarily talk as much. And might be the kind of thing where no matter how long you're apart, you come together and it's like, you were never apart, but you recognize, like we all do, we're getting older, we're separated geographically. We, if we want to have more of a relationship, we need to actually like do something dramatic or intentional to make that happen, to spend more time together, to do things together. And that thought about the opportunities and missed opportunities, right? And I think predicting or anticipating what missed opportunities might be and saying, okay, we don't want that to happen. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. iXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, It's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up, when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what iXL can do for you. Visit iXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's iXL.com forward slash BE. So how do we take advantage of this opportunity to do something together that, that keeps us close? But uh, when when you think about that element of it, what can you, if you can remember, right, like, what were some of the things that you knew ahead of time, okay, this is a, this is great for our relationship, because it's going to allow x, y, and z, but then also, what were some of the things maybe that you realized as it went on and reflected on later to say, you know what, it was even better or different than I thought, now that we have engaged in this together?
1: That's a Good question. Uh, I I did think that it was going to draw us together, but I didn't really anticipate how much it would. You know, it, it was a daily text message and sometimes it was just a photo, a couple of words. It wasn't like we were having deep conversations every day. But for some reason, the fact that we were on these parallel paths, each doing a workout, each maintaining that commitment to each other, each touching, you know, into with each other through that simple text message, that provided a closeness that I didn't anticipate. And just a quick example, later in the year, was a time in October, November, that's a difficult time for my brother, given loss in his life. And I could tell what he was going through on a daily basis by just the brevity of his text message. If it was just a couple of words, I knew he was struggling. It, it, it really wasn't so much what he was saying, but I could simply, I was so in tune with him that I knew what he was experiencing just from a a word or two.
0: And I mean, there's just, there's something to be said just about doing things with people, right? That you want to, Have a relationship with whether it's a sibling, a parent, a child, a colleague, a student, a friend, whoever it is, to say, like, we are engaging in an activity. There's a series of steps, there's challenges, we're working through them together, we're learning together as we go. That I think is what that could be is overlooked a lot. I don't know, in my experience, right? That you always think it has to always be about talking, <laughs> you know, everybody has their own perception of what relationships are supposed to be. And, but sometimes it's, it's having something that's a specific shared activity, shared, just, it's just between us. It's something we're doing together. And, and we're starting from the same point. And through that, through times when you are or are not in a lot of dialogue, you learn about each other, you learn those beats, and you have that intuition about things that even through digital channels, you can say, I have a pretty good picture of what's happening today, even though I only have this very
1: small, narrow slice. Really interesting, because you know, in this day of technology and instant communication, we can connect with each other like never before. I mean, it's so instant the way we can keep in touch with each other. But so many of us are feeling more isolated than ever before. Our relationships have turned into these pseudo relationships where we keep touch with people on on Facebook or or Instagram, but we don't don't really know what's going on with them. We, We get these sanitized versions through their posts and we may not have talked with them in half a dozen years. And to me, it's interesting that we use that same technology to connect more deeply than we ever had. And I right. think that it was the combining the technology, the daily messages with this challenge and being on the challenge together that really drew that closeness, yeah, it's you know it relates
0: closely to we just here on the podcast network we just published a series recently and for Mental Health Awareness Month and a series of different conversations, one of them being about the you know pros and cons of technology, right, and the ways in which it it can connect us across the globe but make us more isolated from people that are in proximity right we're texting from different rooms in the house or or we are getting that yes sanitized produced overproduced perception of what people are going through you know people who are close to us that it might be obscuring things that we should be connecting about or people we don't know as well and then we're Comparing ourselves to them and putting pressure and saying they seem like they're doing so great and I'm doing so poor and all those kind of ways in which it kind of, for all of its power and benefit, and the fact that we're having this conversation right now on opposite coasts, <laughs> you know, that it can also have those detriments. And, and another conversation or another point that uh, I brought up in. One of those conversations on the mental health piece was the upside of accountability, and we were the the topic was, you know, why community is the foundation of learning, and uh, we talked about online communities, but also just classrooms and in person, and how the, this word accountability, of course, is so frequently used as a cudgel, but that, for example, to a student having a teacher that demonstrates that they care about them, that they're holding them accountable because they want them to do well, right? That that they're paying attention, that they're not being ignored, you know, it can be a real positive. And also in peer-to-peer or any other kind of relationships to say we're holding each other accountable because we're invested in each other and certainly that was something that was certainly present in this.
1: I I think that notion of accountability was one of those lessons uh, that we got out of this that I hadn't anticipated. Um, So we were accountable to each other through these daily text messages and photos of our workout, but ultimately the the accountability was ourselves. And that was the real lesson Um, because I could have taken a fake photo. I could have messed up my hair and snapped a photo and said, oh, that was a really tough workout today. And he wouldn't have been any wise. The only one who would have known would have been me. And that would have been so wrong because that would have completely violated the, the nature of the challenge. Because we, we did this challenge for no extrinsic purpose. There was no reward at the end. There was no trophy or anything like that. This was simply based on a commitment to each other. And if I had violated that commitment one day by not holding myself accountable, it would have kind of diminished the meaning of the whole experience, I think. So I, I think the powerful lesson there was through the accountability to each other, we really developed that self-accountability to ourselves. And wouldn't that be cool if students could develop that same sort of self-accountability through the role modeling of teachers? Yeah, and, and the mutual accountability piece,
0: it makes you mindful of how you're holding yourself. Accountable, Or how you want to be accountable to the people that you're accountable, right? And say, okay, well, if I'm kind of finding a way to cheat on that, then it's not, you know, I'm not being fair to myself or to them because everybody is operating on in good faith, hopefully, right? And yeah, in the yeah. honor system here. And once that breaks down, then none of it really means anything. And then we realize, okay, for the last 10 months of this physical challenge, we've both been faking it. We right. see each other <laughs> at the holidays, like, man, I thought you'd be in better shape, you know? But it's also, even to take it a step further, the power of someone believing in you, right? And it yeah. certainly that relates to... You know, all of our folks in education, whether administrators in the classroom and what that can be and how that can be exhibited and articulated and demonstrated authentically, right? And what it means to, and what we're believing in, I think, right? And believing in, yes, the outcomes, believing that people can achieve things, but also that we're believing in their in their intentions, in their character, in their spirit, right? in all those things where in our lives, right? I mean, yes, you, we have some people like our family, our siblings that we might know quite well, but also if we're in a professional setting, whether in an office or in a school, we only know everybody to a certain extent. And so what would be disingenuous to act like I I know everything about everybody and I'm going to come on way too strong with some message of that's kind of a little tone deaf. But at the same time, it's like understanding what makes a difference to people and how can we Not make them have to intuit that, (laughs) but no, look, I'm somebody of influence to this other person. You know, the way I respond to them and engage with them can really make a difference for them, not just in their day, but in their long term, because they might not have somebody else who is demonstrating that belief in them, or they may have exactly the opposite. And, you know, how can I find those opportunities? to really show that i believe in who they are and what they can do and and without needing to know what that is right it's based on Mm -hmm. their dreams their goals their abilities but how can i sort of you know show that or speak that into them and take this out And, and that's another thing that it often in the haze of the day, how many things we're all doing, how many people we're all interacting with, how many of our own problems we have to deal with. Its relative importance and certainly potential to make a real impact doesn't always correlate with its spot on the priority list, you know, but if we know how much it means to us when somebody else shows to us that they believe in what we can do and how that gives us that energy to really give it a go. That should be a tremendous illustration of, okay, what are my opportunities to do this for others?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And in many ways, that's it's the role of a really effective coach of knowing what are those opportunities and how do I bring them up? I, I give you a quick example from the book. In February, my brother sent me a text, said, hey, I've got a great idea. How about we do 10,000 pushups in March? And I'm just like, what? That's absolutely crazy. But he Immediately broke it down like a coach did. He said, No, this is completely possible. You, you can already do 40 to 50 push ups. He said, All you have to do, and I probably actually use those words, which is kind of scary, but all you have to do is five sets of 40 in the morning, another three sets in the afternoon or evening. That gets you 320 push ups. You do that every day for the month of March, you hit 10,000. So you, you see what he's done there. He's, he's issued me this audacious challenge, just this crazy number of 10,000 push ups. It just seems ridiculous but then he's broken it down and he showed me how I could do that. That's a good coach. That's somebody who really understands what motivates me and and how to help me overcome the mental challenge of there's no way I can do that. Right. Yeah. Making the difficult
0: achievable, making the ambiguous manageable, (laughs) breaking things down into, okay, I know you can be successful, but first let's start with defining what do we want success to be what does that look like what are the component parts of that how do we make a plan for each of those right and then it makes it something that we can do and it's not just words it's not right and and without starting with a specific number of ten thousand, there would be no way to determine whether or not that was ever achieved let's do a lot of push-ups this way.
1: okay (laughs) what's a lot right (laughs) that's right it's it's putting that 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 line in the sand or that 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 mountain that you want to climb. It it just it gave it something that just seemed audacious and crazy. Yeah. yeah, and I
0: got a couple other parts of that also I think really fit together, especially when you're working through things on your own and learning lessons from that and doing it together. And these are separate pieces that certainly fit together is recognizing limits and and preparing to fail, understanding that on this, if we're trying for something challenging, there's a high likelihood of not making it, or at least not making it the first time, or not making it the way that we thought we were going to make it, right? And that's just all that is, It's a sign of a worthy goal. Right? And it, it seems like through those processes, there's a lot of competencies that develop. Confidence, I mean, I mean the more that we become comfortable with not always succeeding the more by contrast the more confidence we have that we know what it takes to get where we want to go right awareness being aware of yeah there we have certain limitations and but we can if we know what those are we can succeed with them in view right it's not being ignorant to them it's actually understanding how they're guide and empathy and understanding yeah. look i need to put myself in position to try and to fail so that i can then extend that grace support you know recognition belief to others right yeah. and it's very easy for the person i think who never challenges themselves in that way never goes outside of their comfort zone never puts themselves in a limb but maybe they're in a a position where they're objectively doing well so to speak to just innately or or reactively pass judgment on other people that they see that are having struggles which is a it's really hard to be a supportive person if you're doing that right whether it's a personal relationship professional or otherwise like But it takes having experience. That's why so often I would say you meant to reference coaches earlier. And if we talk about like coaches in sports, right? So often the best ones are the ones who are not the best players, but because they know how hard it is. And they understand that the ones who were the exact, the top of the top elites have a very hard time understanding why somebody else is not doing as well as they did.
1: Yeah, I, I have been in leadership roles in higher education for you know, almost 25 years. And I am such a natural introvert that being the extroverted leader that I have to be sometimes, it just does not come naturally. For me. But I think that makes me really empathetic in terms of helping develop other leaders, because since it didn't come naturally for me, since I had to learn to develop the leadership side of Stephen, that gave me the empathy to help other people see what does it take to develop those leadership skills what does it take to really develop that empathy and understanding what others are going through yeah and there's i don't want to, i have the the
0: same in it it may seem i guess to i think to somebody who's an extrovert they would maybe not think it makes sense right for somebody who's more introverted to be in uh to have worked in communications to do podcasting and that kind of <laughs> okay. stuff but really it's more about the inclination the desire for authenticity right and yeah. sometimes you can have one-on-one conversations and feel like you're able to express yourself and to hear what the other person's saying and there's substance to it that's really comfortable to an introvert but if you're in a, a large group where every, everything's very superficial and, or you start to kind of talk and then it gets interrupted and then you're sort of thinking, I'm not, all right, I'm no longer interested in this, right? Because it's taking me a good amount of energy and like psychic energy to participate here. And if I'm feeling like my participation isn't being rewarded, uh, I think I'm going to, to shield myself from that. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention. And overall, as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off
1: offer for your first year. Check it out yeah yeah and it's interesting how many of us learn to do what it takes to put out that energy when we need to but also i think that that notion you just introduced of of shielding ourselves of kind of looking out for ourselves that's another important lesson is that we've got to take that time for self-care and to rejuvenate ourselves when we do put ourselves out there if I do a, a day or two days of leadership training with a group, I am just completely exhausted and spent there. I'm using all my extroversion skills to put myself on stage for that time. I need to take that time to recover. For me, that extroversion is a sprint. And then I got to figure out how do I recover from that sprint? How, how do I attend to Stephen's need um, in the recovery process? And I think we don't give enough acknowledgement in our society to that need to recover. We recognize the heroes. We give accolades to those who, who, who put themselves up, but we should also be recognizing those who are taking the time to, to look after themselves and recover. Right. Yeah. And particularly
0: recovery with a plan right? to say, okay, I have this period where I'm sprinting. I have this period where I'm recovering. I have this period where, and that it's not, I feel like Now I can't remember when, but this came up in something I was thinking of recently. Like, what if life's not a marathon? What if it's a series of sprints, right? What if it's not, we just keep moving. And at a certain point, right, we've kind of lost a feeling in our, you know, where we are, but we just keep going and versus saying, okay, take those recovery periods. Then you can attack the things you want to attack at full speed and really go for it and then move on to the next thing. And also feel a sense of accomplishment, right? Because in the marathon, the finish line is when you finish uh, versus the sprints. Okay, they can be a variable length and we could say, okay, I achieved something. Whether it's something as simple as an interaction, a meeting, a conversation or a big project, whatever it is, do I feel rewarded for having given my energy to that thing? Do I feel as though I had an opportunity to share some ideas, the ideas were heard, there's some idea of next steps or what that's going to lead to, or, was it a complete dud and now not only do I need to recover, but I feel as though that was not well spent and now I'm less likely to try again next time. You know, again, that's where having that accountability part and the person who believes in you can be really helpful because you can understand those micro moments to say, okay, let's create a sense of accomplishment around the effort, around the intention, around the progress, not just around the, the
1: outcome. Thing has so much relevance for educators because whether whatever level of education, we're in, there's a natural rhythm to the year. You know, we start off the fall, we're excited. We're meeting new students where you've got all that energy. And by the time summer comes around, it's those reserves are gone. And when we need to do that recovery over the summer, but throughout that year, there also are all those sprints. There are sprints around report cards or whatever the different challenges, the things that we've got to exert that extra effort. And it's those sprints throughout the year where we also have to take the time to recover. I think that educators that are on some sort of academic calendar do a pretty good job for the most part of recovering over the summer. But it's those more micro recoveries throughout the year that sometimes we're not as good at, and that's why. Um, June, we're so burned out. We're, 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 we're so exhausted um, because we haven't been taking that time throughout the year to to try and rejuvenate and to try and recover from those sprints.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So through through the journey that's detailed in the book, what perspectives did you gain on leadership? I mean, you, you know, of course, been working in leadership roles, right? and And even in higher ed roles, focused on leadership. So leadership about leadership for a long time. And yet, This new thing, this new seemingly unrelated endeavor also gave some new lessons and
1: perspective on leadership and what it can be and how it can be done. There's a simple concept that I've known about for years, but I really experienced it deeply over the process of going through this journey and writing this book. And and that concept is intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. This idea of that motivation that comes from within you. And, And we know through research that intrinsic motivation is a more sustaining type of motivation. The extra rewards, the recognition, right. th- that provides that short-term boost, but it's the intrinsic that really feeds our soul and, and keeps us going. That's what we tapped into through this challenge. You know. And in, Whether it's the monthly challenges, the full year, we were tapping into an intrinsic motivation there. And when you do that, there's an excitement you get that I don't think enough of us feel when we head to work. There were days it, we increased the pushups at different points and so by the time we hit December, we decided to do 30,000 push-ups in December. That's a crazy number of push-ups, a thousand push-ups a day. The day before December started, I can remember that the night of November 30th, I was excited. I mean, I was almost giddy going to sleep because I was going to be starting on a crazy challenge the next day. That is so messed up. I'm I'm about to head into a month of, of an insane number of push-ups and I'm so excited by it. That's intrinsic motivation. I think as leaders, if we could tap more into that, if we could get more uh, of our people feeling that sense of excitement and enjoyment about what they're doing at work, we we get more creativity, um, we get more empathy, we get more, I mean, all that stuff that we're hoping, uh, teamwork that we're hoping to, to pull out of people, that becomes so much more natural when we tap into that intrinsic motivation. And I think that was one of those lessons that, yes, I've been teaching about it, but experiencing it throughout the course of a year just gave me a whole new understanding of that power of intrinsic motivation. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I I could provide lessons, right, to leaders about, I think the concept of making things challenging yet achievable right and demonstrating a pathway to get there it's telling that was December it wasn't wasn't January okay let's do 30,000 it was okay we're we have a plan we're going to get there and now by the time we've gotten to this really difficult challenge I know it's still going to be hard but I know I can do it because I have evidence that I'm on track I have achieved other challenges on the way to get here and i've seen that in action same thing in any other kind of role project professional setting for leaders to think about okay what's the biggest challenge we're we're headed toward a lot of which are going to be a lot more undefined or ambiguous than 30,000 push-ups, right? It's things that we need to achieve that we don't actually know what it is yet, or we don't know what all the terms around it are yet. But what are we doing on the way to getting there? And how am I making sure that my team members have confidence that they can do it? And that it's fulfilling to them and that it's aspirational. It's not, it's positive motivation, which I think really fuels that intrinsic motivation. It's those, the dreams, desires, the, people's drive to do a good job however they define that right to feel as though they did something that was meaningful but they just did something that they feel good about at the end of the day and it also this is form of how I think sometimes extrinsic motivation can either augment or diminish intrinsic motivation, right? Is like, I thought about this a lot and specifically with respect to some sports I played in the way some coaches, but it's the same in other. Most people I believe are motivated to prove you right than to prove you wrong, right? The person who says, I believe in you, I'm supporting you. Like, I'm going to be here to help you. You can do this hard thing. I think the majority of people are motivated to do that when they're hearing that. And that aligns to the intrinsic motivation to feel as though I'm really living out my potential versus the coach or the supervisor who questions you doubts you criticizes you or says ah, you can't do this i'm going to prove you wrong there is exceptions to that right but usually yeah. that's at the very least it's not sustaining it might happen in a moment it triggers an emotional response and i say you know what i'm not going to let this person get the better of me and i'm going to show them but then at the end you're so Exhausted. You've expired so much energy, and over the, and, and certainly if it's a professional setting, you're not motivated to say,
1: let me keep working for this person. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. And the other thing that happens when we put that sort of pressure on people and when we don't kind of tap into the intrinsic motivation is that people are tempted to cut corners. People are tempted to cheat. People, if we're motivated for because of the fear that's being instilled in us or because of the rewards that we might get for opening all those bank accounts, then we might open a whole bunch of fake bank accounts as Wells Fargo found a few years ago. It's when we use those crazy goals with pressure, without the recognition of what people are going through, that people start cutting corners and, and doing the unethical things. And I think that another one of those powers of the intrinsic motivation is that temptation to do the unethical thing is greatly diminished when, we've got, when we're intrinsically motivated. It's when we're being pushed by external reasons. That we look for shortcuts to try and achieve that goal.
0: Yeah, it's, and, and I wonder, it's, yeah, that motivation to avoid punishment or avoid criticism rather than to earn, I mean, necessarily to earn praise, but to earn in, internal fulfillment. It makes me wonder, I have zero data on this, and I doubt anybody would, or else it wouldn't exist. But, you know, when I think about students who would find ways to cheat on assignments, I wonder what the I wonder what even the average grade is that they earn on those assignments. And I would almost like hypothesize that it's probably a B, something like that, especially if it's an exam, that they're cheating to avoid failing, not to excel, right? Um, Versus the students who like aren't worried about failure that are just saying, let me just do my best on this that are more likely to get the higher grades because they've fully invested in it without that (laughs) tentativeness. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but it just seems as though it's more about what you're avoiding and what you're protecting yourself against. And it's a defense mechanism versus that. Well, if I do a good job, even if I didn't really deserve it, then I'm going to get some great reward out of it. But you know, sometimes that's ambiguous. One more point that I think is important here, and certainly super relevant to our listeners, is the third part, connection, leadership, and purpose. So we talked a lot about connection and leadership, but what did you learn about purpose through this?
1: Yeah, you know, purpose is one of those ones that's so important for people in all settings. In education setting, it's important for our students to have that sense of purpose. For leaders, it's important that we develop our organizations with, that people have this sense of purpose. One of the powerful lessons that I think that we learned through this about purpose was that importance of holding each other up, uh, of these connections that we have, these relationships that we have. So often we think of purpose in terms of what we achieve in life, what we acquire, what position we rise to in organizations. It's some sort of achievement-oriented purpose. What this journey told us was that that the purpose was not about achieving 365 workouts. The purpose that we found in this whole year-long journey was about deepening connections with ourselves, with our kids, with our spouses. I mean, it had ripple effects. It wasn't just the connection in the relationship between the two brothers. It had connections to to so many other areas of our lives, and it really highlighted and put a spotlight on those relationships, being the foundation of purpose, the importance of what we were doing and why we're here on this planet. And you find
0: the I think it's there's something about the personal connection to or the personalization of the purpose. I mean, certainly if we're speaking here to. Educator, right? Like it's a purpose-driven vocation. There, and everybody is aware of that, and that's what attracts one to go into that type of profession. To say, look, I, there's a mission here, and purpose is to help students, to help them develop, and so on, and yet, just probably walking into an organization taking what they have up on the wall, or if an organization, a school, for example, fails to even define its own unique mission and just is like, well, everybody kind of knows why we're here, that even though everybody has some idea of what that is, there's something that's not as sustaining about it as when we're able to really personalize that and say, okay, like, this is what this is all about, but my personal connection to it is, this this is why I'm here and then as a result of what I'm doing here it enables xyz right as a result of the work that I'm doing here that's really connected to my purpose also it enables me to have a positive relationship with my family because I'm feeling fulfilled from my work and that carries over into that and I'm in a good mood. Right? It oh, enables yeah. me to provide for them because I'm making a living. It, all, But it's really hard for that to happen, even in the most, a, a nonprofit, a charity, a school, whatever it is, organizations that you would say, well, of course, the only reason people are there is because they believe in the purpose. But there's a difference, I think, between believing in the purpose of something else and personalizing your connection to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'll give you a quick example. Years ago, when I was the vice dean of the business school at the University of Arizona, um, one of the days when walking in, I stopped one of the custodians who was working in the, the main entry hall and I thanked them. And I said, But you keep our building looking beautiful. And that's the first impression people have with the business school when they walk in right. is looking at the site. And I just want to thank you for managing the first impression so effectively for us. Yeah. I got incredible gratitude from that custodian because nobody had ever said that to him before. I was highlighting for him his purpose at -hmm. the school. But in the return, I got a sense of my purpose as a leader, of helping him see the broader purpose showed me that's part of my purpose. That made me feel a stronger connection to what I was doing, that it more important than managing the budget and so on was helping people see their individual purpose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a very similar situation back in my, when I was in high school and visiting uh, colleges, made the difference between the school that ended up getting my tuition dollars and the one that didn't. The one that I thought I was visiting, I just wasn't impressed with the condition of the campus. The one that was like, oh, we might as well go there while we're also here. I was like, wow, I love it here. This is beautiful. It's pristine. Yeah. And it is that impression that is overlooked, but it makes the difference. Stephen, let's close on this one. If there's one, one of the lessons from this book that you learn that you've written about and articulated that, you know, you think everybody listening should really think about this one and, and see how they can apply
1: it. Is there one
0: that stands out that you would really want to reinforce?
1: I I think it's the one that really started our journey and and I would call it an I will commitment. You know, in so many things in life, when we commit to it, we implicitly put a disclaimer in the back of our mind, barring unforeseen circumstances, I will. I will try. Our most common commitment is I will try. I'll do my very best. We took it one step further on this journey and we turned that I will try into an I will commitment. A, a 100%. It doesn't matter what happened. I will. That was the power. That was the one that really opened my eyes of, wow. You know, it, if we really, we can't do it all the time in our life, but if we really want to go on a journey, let's try starting it with an I will commitment. And and so I'd ask the listeners, what would it say, if you had a chance to commit to one thing, what would it be with an I will commitment? Who would you then bring into that commitment with you to help share that accountability? And then do it, then do it, you know, to take it on. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: think that's a great one to leave on. And, you know, there's a one definition even of commitments is exactly that. If you if it's a commitment, then it will happen, right? It's things that are in your control that there's no reason why it won't happen other than you didn't do it, right? And so, yeah. and I think that's a great way to think about it. Listeners, once again, the book is called Pushing Up, What 12 Months of Physical Challenges Taught Two Brothers About Connection, Leadership, and Purpose. You can find it on Amazon. We'll put the link there below course, you can also find it at other booksellers. And uh, please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this one and visit bepodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Uh, Dr. Stephen Gilland, thank you so much for being on The Authority. Thank you. I've had a
1: wonderful time. Appreciate it. This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson. Do
0: you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.